I'd like for you to open God's holy word this morning to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32, and we will begin with verse 22. And he, speaking of Jacob, and he arose that night and took his two wives and two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he, as Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. May the Spirit of God give His blessing to the Word today, and may the Lord guide us into His precious truth. In the holy name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. At this point in our text, Jacob is on his way back to the land of Canaan. He had been gone a little over 20 years into the land of Haran, where his ancestors were from, where he had gotten his two wives in this large family that we have just read about. God had blessed Jacob during his sojourn in his ancestral land. He had become very, very wealthy and had acquired very much livestock. And now he is on his way to return back to the land of Canaan. You remember that he left the land of Canaan on very unfavorable terms with his brother Esau. No doubt Jacob is expecting Esau to be quite angry with him. For Jacob had taken advantage of Esau when he was very vulnerable, when he was quite hungry, and he took away his birthright by offering to feed him if he would give to Jacob his birthright. And there he was, quite vulnerable, and he agreed to do that very same thing. Then later, uh, Jacob also deceptively stole the blessing that was to be given to the firstborn by tricking his father Isaac. And of course, we remember Rebekah, his mother, also had a part in this plan. 
But nevertheless, Isaac was deceived and Isaac blessed Jacob rather than Esau the firstborn. You see, throughout this time though, even though Jacob had left the land of Canaan under very unfavorable terms, and Jacob uh, indeed had his part as a conniver uh, seeking to do things his way, despite all that, God was working in his child Jacob. He was working to change Jacob into the man of God that God had called him to be. And I also believe today that in the very same way, if we are the children of God, that God is working on us as well. The the Word of God tells us that God is working in us, that He is working with us both to do and to will according to His good purpose in our lives. We should be so thankful for that, that God is the author of our salvation. And He is working in our lives. He's molding us. He's fashioning us. He's changing us to make us to be more and more Christ-like. Brother Dan read this morning from the Scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that we have been predestined by God to be conformed to the very image of Christ. That's God's business. He's in the business of causing us to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we remember, if we go back about 20 more years, that God had revealed Himself to Jacob in a very powerful way when he was at Bethel. And God, there Jacob was approximately about 70 years old at that time, which by the way was not that old because Jacob lived to be 147 years old. But God was was working in Jacob and and God had first revealed Himself in this first major event where Jacob dreamed a dream and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder upon this staircase. And he said, no doubt this is the house of God. God was working in in the life of Jacob. Now Jesus, in John chapter 51, as He was speaking to Nathanael, said to Nathanael that you will see glorious things. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon, not a staircase, but upon the Son of Man. What the Lord is saying to us through those Scriptures is that God is indeed involved in our lives from heaven to earth. His Spirit's work, the angels' work in our life, that God is at work in our lives to cause us to be conformed to the image of Christ. God is working in in our lives. Now, by the time that we get to this text, Jacob has made his trip to the land of Haran, is on his way back to Canaan. Jacob is in his mid to late 90s. And again, that's not extremely old by ratio. That would be in comparison to someone in our day being in his mid to late 40s. So Jacob, although God had revealed himself in the dream, God had a lot more work to do in the life of Jacob. Now he's in his mid to late 90s and he is having what may be referred to as a midlife spiritual crisis. 
God was, in fact, working in Jacob's life. Now, last Sunday we looked at uh, chapter 32 at the prayer of Jacob, verses 10 through verses 12. And that's where Jacob confesses to the Lord there in verse 10 that I am unworthy of all these great blessings that you have bestowed upon me over these last 20 years or so. He praises God that God has revealed to him truth and wisdom and that God has shown him so much that he did not know. And yet he comes before the Lord in all honesty as he cries out before the Lord, please save me from my brother Esau. Expecting Esau to be quite angry with him. And then yet he remembers uh, God's covenant promise to his father, grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac that God would bless him, that he would make a great nation verse 12, out of them and that their descendants would be as the sand of the sea. So he was praying back to God the very promises of God that God was going to make a great nation out of him and he brings this before the Lord. He was praying the very promises of God. So even though Jacob had come a long way and God was working in his life God was still in the business of rubbing a few rough edges away from Jacob. Jacob's prayer to the Lord teaches us that Jacob was trusting God, but not quite fully, was he? What did he do? He sent out three different droves of of people that was led by one of his servants. And each of these three droves were to meet Esau as Esau was coming out to meet Jacob. Again, Jacob's thinking that Esau must be so angry with me, he was afraid. So he sends these three droves of people and presents out to meet Esau as he's coming. And as Esau meets each three sections, the, the head servant of each drove was to say when Esau says, what are all these people and animals? The servant was to say, these are gifts to my Lord Esau from your brother Jacob in order to appease the very wrath of Esau. Well, let's fast forward then. We're going to bypass our text for a moment and see that Jacob's worry was really all for naught. Because when Jacob met up with Esau, we read about this in chapter 33 and verse 4. What was Esau's response? He ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck, fell upon the neck of Jacob and kissed him, and they wept together. These two brothers that had been apart for a few decades, now they're rejoined and they are weeping together, glad to see one another. In verse 8, Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said to him, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. And what does Esau say in verse 9? 
I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself, you see. And all that time that they had been apart, the wrath of, of Esau had been quelled. He was no longer angry with his brother Jacob. And so God had blessed Esau as well in, <clears throat> in many material ways, and he was quite happy. So Esau, um, as far as uh, humanly speaking, he was a nice guy, wasn't he? You know, he was very forgiving. He loved his brother. He was very gracious to Jacob and did not want anything that Jacob had. Now, as we get to know Isaac, we understand that Isaac um, was kind of a man's man, wasn't he? And maybe that's why, uh, excuse me, Jacob, excuse me, I'll get to Esau, was sort of a man's man. And that's why Isaac loved Esau. He was a man outdoorsman. He's the kind of guy that we would probably be interested in hanging around. You know, he, he could cook up that uh, tasty game that his father Isaac loved so much. You know, the stew that he made for, for Isaac and, and that he enjoyed so much. In other words, um, Esau was not a PETA sort of guy. Unless you would think that PETA might stand for people eating tasty animals. You know, that's, that's the kind of, kind of guy that, that Esau was. You know, I, I suppose if many of us had the, the uh, opportunity to hang around with Jacob or Esau... I have to admit, you know, Esau might be the guy to run around with because he could teach us, you know, where were the best places to hunt and where we could catch fish and, and where we could enjoy the outdoors. But Esau was an earthly man. He, he, he was very happy with the things of earth, not concerned with the things of the heavenly realm. Jacob, on the other hand, he was more of a homebody. He was the, the brother that dwelt among the tents. He was uh, the mama's boy, the, the, the boy that hung around his mother's apron str strings. He was uh, happy to, to be around the home place. But even though this was true, God was at work greatly in the heart of Jacob, you see. You know, we have to look at ourselves and look at these two particular individuals and say to ourselves that we need to make sure that we don't get too caught up in the outward appearance. Because the Word of God says that God looks upon the, upon the heart where man looks upon the outward appearance. Jacob was a man of this earth. And you know, that's what the, the word pagan means. It means an earth dweller. Someone that's only concerned with the here and now, the things of this earth. That was the kind of man that Esau was. And even though we may be attracted to him on first glance, we need to know what the Word of God says about how we should view Esau. We won't take the time to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12... Verses 16 and 17, the writer of the Hebrews warns us to not be like Esau, 
who in fact was a fornicator, a guy who was sexually immoral, a guy who was profane and godless, who for that little bit of food that we mentioned earlier was willing to sell his very birthright. Now Esau was sorrowful that he had lost his blessing, but he had no real repentance before God because of his sin. You see, he wanted the blessings of God for himself, but he did not so much want God. He just wanted his blessings. Like many people today, they, they, they want to go to heaven. They want the bliss and the joy of heaven, but they're not too concerned about meeting the almighty holy God when they get there. That's the way Esau was. But praise God, God had chosen Jacob over Esau. And God was working in the life of his very child. And we who know the Lord, we can say the same thing and praise God for his work in our lives this morning. I want us to see four things in this text this morning as we look at verses 22 through 32, I want us to see that God is the one who seeks us. Secondly, God is the one who shapes us. We must persevere, thirdly. And then lastly, it is ultimately God is the one who changes us. God seeks and shapes and changes us. First of all, God seeks out His own. Look there in verse uh, 22. After they had crossed over the, the uh, ford there of Jabbok, uh, Jacob made sure that his family had crossed, and then he tarries alone by himself. Now let me ask you this. Who is it that really initiates this meeting? All of a sudden there we read in verse 24 that there was a man who wrestled with Jacob. Who is this guy? All of a sudden, there is an individual here, this uh, wrestler from heaven, that comes upon Jacob and initiates a wrestling match. Wow. It's very interesting here that, that if we look at the... Uh, the Hebrew text, we would see the divine work of God here in the original language. It is God wrestled in the Hebrew is Yehabek with Jacob, Yah-Akav, at the brook Jabbok, which is in the Hebrew Yabak. So you see the play on the words there. God wrestled, Yehabek, with Jacob, Yehachab, at the brook, Yakab, Yakab. <laughs> See, the play on the words there. That's what's so beautiful about the Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God, yet oftentimes it's couched in the beauty of a literary form. This was a divine work of God. God was working with Jacob at the brook Jabbok. Now, indeed, Jacob did seek solitude, didn't he? You know, he, he encouraged his family to go on ahead. 
And uh, but all this was done according to God ordering his life. Boy, how we need those times. You know, we, we may schedule a time before the Lord to be alone with God, but how do we know whether or not God is the one who is really initiating that? We talked this morning about prayer, that the, the prayers that truly get answered are the prayers that begin in heaven. So if we have that yearning and desire to be alone with God, we should not think that this comes, comes just from us. Maybe God is setting us aside. To be alone with Him. As the great hymn says, we need to take time to be holy. To speak off with the Lord. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in prayer. In secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like Him you shall be. And thy friends in thy conduct His likeness shall see. That's what God was doing with Jacob to cause him to be more like the Lord and that is what the Lord is doing with us. Jesus often withdrew to be alone with the Father. Uh, We also read in Job chapter 10 and Job chapter 13, we won't take the time to turn there, that Job sought to be alone, to be away from that good counsel from his friends. He needed to be alone with God. He needed to be with God so that he could find comfort and understanding. You know, sometimes we face issues in our life that are so complex that really no other human being has the answer that we need. That we need to take that time to set aside time to be alone with God and let God speak to us by His Spirit in our hearts. So that's what God was doing in the life of Jesus because in the, in the life of Jacob, the Lord was revealing Himself. Uh, to take time to, to seek the Lord. And God has initiated this time where He could be with Jacob and be with Jacob alone. Aren't you glad that God seeks us out? You know, the Word of God says that none of us seek Him. But God is seeking such that would worship Him in spirit and in truth. And God was working. Well, not only does God seek us out, but God is the one who shapes us. He knows the needs that we have even before we ask or we don't ask. He knows all about us. And He knows just how to handle us. Just as a wise parent may know the different personality types of their children. Even so, God knows all about us. He has made us fearfully and wonderfully. He knows all about our personalities. And He knows just which buttons to push in our life. He knows where and how to relate with us, to touch us. And sometimes that involves wooing us to the truth. And sometimes that involves disciplining us, does it not? Now look there in verse 24 again. We read that Jacob was left alone. Left alone. And this man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. There he was in an all-night wrestling match. Can you imagine that? Have any of you done much wrestling 
Well, after about five minutes, you're worn out. You know, this had to have gone down or needs to go down in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest wrestling match that's ever occurred. An all-night wrestling match. Well, Jacob was struggling, and we also know that who was this person? You know, Jacob asked who he was, and uh, it was not revealed to him just exactly who this person was. The, the wrestler refused to give his name, but after the, the, the wrestler uh, had mysteriously showed up and he mysteriously leaves. In verse 30, Jacob's called the name of the place Penal, where he says, For I have seen God face to face, and even though I've come in direct relationship with God, my life was preserved. The Scripture says no man can look upon God in all of His glory and live, but yet... The text tells us that this was a heavenly messenger that came down and wrestled with Jacob. So, who should we think this is? It is no doubt a messenger or an angel from the Lord. Many people believe, and I think probably so, that this was indeed the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to meet with Jacob and to do business with him, to wrestle with him. Well, I tell you, Jacob had a lot to learn. And just as Jacob wrestled with the Lord... There's times in our life when we have to do the very same thing. We have to wrestle with God alone. Jacob wrestled with the Lord. He had to learn that, this is what he had to learn. He had to learn that he had to seek God alone for the strength, the wisdom, the guidance, and the understanding that he needed from God. He needed to learn that he needed to change his old ways. You know, the, the word <clears throat> Jacob means the one who grasps the heel. That's why he was named that, because when they were born, Esau was the firstborn who came forth from uh, Rebekah's womb first. And what was Jacob doing? He was grasping the heel of Esau when they were born. And so that's that's the kind of person Jacob was. He was a heel grabber. He was a tripper upper. He was a supplanter. He was a conniver, you see. And God had a lot of things to cheat to teach this man. He was to be changed from that type of deceiver to one who struggles with God. One who was a warrior with God. Now look there also, if you will, in verse 25. This is very interesting. Now when he, this is the heavenly messenger, the angel of the Lord, when he saw that he could not prevail, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. Now, again, remember the age of Jacob. Mid-90s, we said this was, you know, mid to late 40s. Now, I don't want to paint a, a totally incorrect 
image of, of who Jacob was. He was not a weakling. He was not a sissy. Matter of fact, Jacob was a pretty tough character. Uh, how do we know that? Well, let, let's flip back a, a few verses here. Now, uh, we're trying to figure out, we're trying to understand the characteristics of these two people that are wrestling. Alright, so let's look back, fast uh, backwards uh, for about 20 years. And uh, Jacob has just entered the land of his people of Haran. And he. this is chapter 29. As he had, had come on his journey, and he looked there, chapter 29, verse 2, and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered their flocks. And a large stone was at the well's mouth. And he gets into a conversation with the men that, that uh, he meets there. And he asks them, why is it that you do not go ahead and water the animals? And they relate to him that they are waiting until more people come and that so that all the people can be there, so there is enough people there, so that the word they can remove the stone from the well. It seems to me that in this text that Jacob is in quite a hurry to get this done. Because he looks while they were talking and he sees Rachel coming uh, towards them with the sheep. So what does he do? He says, you know, (laughs) he's ready to get the show on the road. He sees Rachel coming. So look at at, um, verse verse 9. So while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, and when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban's, Laban his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth. He did, by himself. The, the men were waiting for others to come, but Jacob takes matters into his own hand, rolls this massive stone away from the well, and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. What was going on here? Well, I, we're not, not told for sure, but I think that when Jacob was seeing the, the little sweet thing, Rachel coming across the the way he wanted to get the job done so these people would leave so that he would have time with with Rachel okay and matter of fact there we also read in verse 11 that as soon as uh, Jacob was done watering the the sheep that Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept now again this is this is not really a romantic kiss they were part of his ancestors. It had been decades before he had uh, seen her, and he, he's weeping over her. Glad to see her, and again kisses her. But the point being here, here that um, Jacob was a worthy opponent, you know. Even though he wasn't an outdoorsman, he was a, a strong kind of guy. So they begin this wrestling match with this heavenly 
one who has come upon upon comes upon the scene here. Now it, it's, it's interesting here that uh, it says here in this text that the heavenly messenger could not prevail against him. So he reaches down and he touches the socket of his hip. And Jacob is incapacitated. Now, I know that we have some, some people in, in this group that have taken uh, Taekwondo and some here may have wrestled. Well, you know that for a wrestler, the hip is a point of strength. And it's also a point of pivot that you, you can throw people. So when the messenger touches the hip of Jacob, he totally takes him out of the wrestling match, you see. And then it goes on further there to say that after this happens, or before this happens, did you catch this? Now look at this. That this heavenly messenger, this angelic being, could not prevail against Jacob. Really? I tell you what, if the Lord ever shows up at your house and you begin to have a wrestling match with this heavenly angel, guess who my money's going to be on? You know, I don't think you're going to do a very good job, but yet, the Lord allowed Jacob to do quite well in this wrestling match. You know, I see there in this event the very precious way that God condescends to us. That He knows us, He knows our infirmities, He knows our humanity, and He takes pity upon us and relates with us on our times. The psalmist cried out to God, What is man that you are even mindful of him? Why are you even concerning yourself with us? And yet He does. This holy, transcendent God that cannot be approached comes down to us just as Jacob saw the Lord seated in heaven and the angels ascending and descending upon the throne. Even so, through Christ, who is that bridge, He comes down to relate with us. Jesus is indeed the perfect example The one who was in the very form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon the form of of a servant. And he humbled himself, becoming one of us, humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. There's the Son of Man. The link between us and God. God came down and He revealed Himself to us. He became one of us in order that we might know Him. But He says here that He could not prevail, you see. He accommodates to us. (laughs) Sometimes He simply puts up with us, doesn't He? And yet, in our feebleness, in our humanity, He bids us to come to Him. That we might know Him better. I thought about uh, the Lord and how He permitted Job to come before Him and, and to 
allowed Job to present his case before God and how he allowed Job to argue his defense. And his friends were saying to Job, you can't prevail against God. It's because you've sinned that you're in the predicament that you're in. And Job knew that his, his sickness and the loss of his great loss was not due to any sin on his part. So he argues and he complains before the Lord. And yet the Lord heard everything that Job said. Aren't you glad that God accommodates us, that He condescends to us in our great weakness? And yet He does this because He desires that we might be in a relationship with Him. He initiated this work with Jacob. And he was shaping Jacob and molding Jacob just like he does us. Praise God for that. We're not left on our own. We do not uh, believe that, 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 that God is the God of the deist. You know, the deists believe that God created all that there was and now He just sits back and lets things run as they will. No, we believe that God is the great initiator. He came to seek and to save those that were lost and those whom He saves, those He predestines, He also calls and those He calls, He also justifies and them that are justified He also glorifies. There's no dropouts. God is the initiator and the shaper and He works in us what is pleasing in His sight to conform us, yes, to the very image of Christ. That's what He does for us on a day-to-day basis. And that's what we see God doing in the life of Jacob. Well, that's the divine side. But thirdly, let us see that in the midst of what God is doing, we must persevere. We persevere with the Lord. Look there at chapter 32 and verse 26. Now again, Jacob, he was, he was a goner. He couldn't wrestle anymore. His hip was out of joint. Lost his uh, point of strength. So what does he do? What does he do? He just reaches out and grabs a hold of this heavenly messenger. And he won't let go. And he held on to him until the breaking of day. And the angel of the Lord said, Let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see what Jacob is doing now? Jacob, maybe for the first time in his life, he realized that he cannot connive, plan, or work out the events of his life on his own. That he's got to seek God and God alone. He can't control the events, so he reaches out and takes hold of the Lord. And I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now listen, he had already been blessed monetarily, financially. A lot of livestock. That's not what he's talking about. Now he's talking about he wants the spiritual blessings to come to him from God. No doubt he sees the error of his way of trying to be a manipulator. And now I think he truly says, no more. I give up. Lord, you and you alone must bless me. 
Yes, this is what God is doing in our lives, brothers and sisters. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, talking about those that are believers, those who know the Lord. Verse 5 says we've, we've been justified or we've been declared righteous by faith, by trusting in the Lord, and therefore we have peace with God through Christ. God is not angry with us anymore because of the great sacrifice of Christ and His righteousness that has been applied to us. And now because of this glorious relationship, through Him we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God based on what God has done for us. And not only that, but because of that, because of this glorious relationship that we are in with God now, Paul says to the Christians at Rome, catch this next verse, Now we also glory in tribulations, knowing that it is these tribulations that produce perseverance. (laughs) Do we ask for these tribulations? No, but it's through these trials and tribulations that we cast ourselves upon God and God alone that He would give us the grace that we need. And as we do this day in and day out, God gives us that grace in order that we might become strong, in order that we might persevere in the things of God, that we might persevere in the grace of God, in order that we might grow strong in the grace of God. That's what God was doing with Jacob. That's what God does with us day in and day out. We know that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character and character produces hope now hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us so we simply respond to what God is doing by trusting by persevering by holding on to the Lord and saying, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this burden, I can do nothing. All I can do is cling to You, Lord, and ask that You bless me, that You give me this grace, this wisdom, and this understanding. And why do we even have this blessing, brothers and sisters? It's not because we're good or because we're smart or because we're influential or any of these things. It's because God has initiated this relationship and He's promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you and that I will cause you to be shaped and molded as my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He doesn't let go of us. And by the grace of God... By the grace of God, if we're His true child, we will persevere in that grace. Not because of anything that we've done, but yet, you know, the Scripture says, For it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure in Philippians. But in the verse right beside it, it also says, in the midst of this 
uh, working of God that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You see? And how do we do that? By trusting, by clinging, by holding on to Him, knowing that He, in fact, is the one that is holding on to us. This is what God was doing in the life of His servant. This is what God is doing in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 tells us very plainly, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. The Word of God says, If we receive not the discipline of the Lord, we do not belong to Him. We are none of His. But whom the Lord loves, He chastens and disciplines. And yet, it's just for a little while, isn't it? No chastening or discipline seems enjoyable or pleasant at the time, but in the end it yields forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness, the Word of God says. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, these struggles, these tribulations that we go through, the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Just a faint time. But God is using these trials and these tribulations to form the Lord Jesus Christ in us. It's mandatory, brothers and sisters, that we too are engaged in this struggle with God. It's not that we're fighting against God, but we're struggling with God because we're seeking Him so greatly. We've seen that nothing else matters in this world and we desperately desire for Him to bless us because we finally in our lives have that great understanding now that we are desperately dependent upon God. And we, we long for Him. We cling to Him. And we just say to Him, I will not let you go until you bless me. As a deer pants for the water's brooks, the psalmist said, Even so my soul pants after Thee, O God. God gives us this longing. And we receive this grace. And we persevere in His strength as we respond to Him as we ought to. You know, if we, Pastor Ryan has been preaching about our struggle with the principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark realm where the host of the wicked one dwells, we will certainly fail in our wrestling with them if we do not first of all wrestle with God and to seek His face and to struggle with the Lord. We will certainly fail to the to the powers of darkness if we seek to wrestle with them without the power of God. Well, not only does God seek us out and initiate this relationship, not only does God search us and, and shape us, and we persevere in that grace, but it is ultimately God is the one who changes us. Look back in Genesis 32. Genesis 32 and verse 28. 
And he said, the heavenly messenger said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. You're no longer that hill grabber. You're no longer that supplanter, that deceiver. But your name shall be called Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed, you see. So in this struggle, Jacob was not truly prevailing against God, but he was prevailing against himself. God was the one who won the victory, you see. He came to the end of himself, and that's what life's all about, isn't it? We've got to come to the end of ourselves before we can know God. We have to struggle with our inconsistencies, our infirmities, uh, the, the things in our life that are contrary to the will of God. We've got to bring them before God in repentance and faith and say, Lord, take these things away and cling to Him that He would change us and mold us. And God changed His name there to one who no longer is a manipulator, but one who struggles with God, one who seeks God. And he says, your name is Israel because you've struggled with God and with men. Now, with the, the man part is probably more indicative or memorialized by his former name of Jacob. In the past, you were like this, Jacob. You struggled. You struggled with everyone. You struggled with Esau. You struggled with Laban. You struggled with your wives. But now, your struggle is with me. You see, you see now finally, the things in life are the most important. And God is in the process of bringing us to this position. Turn quickly with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. After Paul has just spent 11 magnificent chapters going over the grace of God and the glories of the gospel in light of all these glorious truths, he says in, in, in chapter 12, in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, in light of these mercies of God that he's been talking about for 11 chapters, I beseech you therefore that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, dying to self, acceptable God for which is your reasonable service. This is what God was doing. And Jacob, that's what God is doing in the life of every believer. He's bringing us to this place where we could see that the only reason we, are, we want to serve Him is because of His great mercies and what He's done. And we're captivated and we're dying to sin and we're dying to self and we want no more of that. And finally we see the, the, the glory in all this and we cling to the Lord and say, unless you bless me, I will not let you go. That's what is reasonable. In order that we might not be conformed to this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we're no longer concerned about the things of ourselves, but we're concerned about the things of God. And thus, he changes the name and the very character of Jacob and calls him Israel. 
Praise God that he, was doing, he does this with us as well as He did with Jacob. As He's working in our life. And not only this, but also we see that God was working in a very major point, that God was not only working in the individual of Jacob or Israel, but He was working with a whole nation. That He would later take this nation into Egypt and make into them a great nation and bring them back into the land of Canaan whereby He would make a great nation out of these people through whom the Messiah would come. I turn back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 33 And you remember when Esau ran out to meet Jacob. Let's read verse 4 again. Esau ran to meet him, embraced Jacob, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept together. And then he lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children. And he said, Esau says to Jacob, Who are all these that are with you? And Jacob said to him, These are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. God had blessed Jacob, Israel, while he was away. You see, this was the big picture of what God was doing. God was building a great nation out of Israel. And he says, Here I am and the children that God has given to me. We see a very similar phrase in the prophet Isaiah. We looked at this at a a former time. We're not going to look at it again. Where the Lord uh, says to the prophet Isaiah, that here I am and the children that God has given to me. And the uh, word of God also says in Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 13, where the writer of the Hebrews quotes from this passage in Isaiah, referring to and applying this to Christ where He comes and He says, Here I am and the people that God has given to me in the new covenant. You see, so what was God doing? A glorious thing. He was forming a people. He had called a people to Himself. He was molding and shaping a people for His own glory. And throughout the Old Covenant, we see the nation of Israel, as did Jacob, struggling with God to be faithful with God. And only because of the faithfulness of God was God able to preserve that holy remnant through which the Messiah, the Christ, might come. In order that we might be partakers of His glory in order that those verses might apply to us when the Lord Himself says, Here I am and the children whom God has given to me. We are those children if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are of those that He refers to as His children. So today we give praise because of what He's done that He has initiated this relationship, that He's molding and shaping us to be more like the image of Christ. We praise God that we come to the end of ourselves and He changes us. And by the grace of God, we respond and we want Him and we persevere in the grace and mercy of Christ. And He works in our heart and He changes us. 
He changes our character in order that we might glorify and give honor and praise to His holy name. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your holy Word and what You have done in our lives. It is because of You, Father, and Your work that we are in Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would not take Your work for granted, but we would bask in the grace of God, that we would cling to Your promise, that You will never leave us or forsake us, that You will work in us what is pleasing in Your sight. And Lord, You also tell us that You will perform that very thing until the day of redemption. So Lord, we have much to praise about. And the praise goes to You. And Father, I also, as I think about each individual that's in this room today, Father, we... We have our issues, we have our struggles, we have our heartaches. But Father, may we give it to You. May we trust You in the midst of these tribulations and trials. And may we persevere under Your hand, Lord. Realizing, Lord, that it's just for a short time and that You're working in us to achieve a greater glory. We thank You, Lord, for this time in Your Word. In Christ's holy name, Amen.